today is, I believe it's week five. Is that right? Yeah. Week five of 40 Days of Faith, our Lenten series. And today, Charles has a great, great talk for us. So let's welcome Charles. Thank you, Sarah. Hey, good to see you guys. It's nice. It's a wonderful March day. I always am disappointed by March, though, even though I was uh, born this month. It's, um, you just think, by March, you are like ready for the winter to be over. And you just think, well, spring is March 21st. is the official start of spring. And so you kind of start to think, okay, warm weather is coming our way. And then you walk out the door. Right? And you just think, you know, it doesn't feel any different from February, (laughs) right? And so it is the way it is. You just have to keep going, and warmth will come. Amen? Yeah. So, hey, we've been in a special season just a couple weeks away from Easter. And we've been focusing on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, It's been a good series, don't you think? It's a famous sermon. The most definitive sermon Jesus gave found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And as we looked at the whole sermon, we saw a new revolutionary vision for a life that is spin-free, judgment-free, despair-free, status-free, exclusion-free, and anxiety-free. And that just sounds really good, doesn't it? And so we've been going through this uh, topic by topic each week. And today, we are going to talk about exclusion-free because it's week five. Sounds good? All right. Jesus calls this exclusion-free life perfection. It's the culmination of the whole sermon, if you will. It's really a summation of what Jesus has really taught in terms of how to live life. And so let's take a look. Important topic. Okay, so this is how the Sermon on the Mount begins. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So he's talking to his disciples. This is about discipleship. This is about how do you become a Christian? How do you follow Jesus? And he said to them, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, How can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. So he's saying you are special. You have something to show the world, but you can lose it. You can lose it, and if you lose it, it's no good, right? I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which means you fool, is answerable to the court. And he repeats it. Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. That's a strong statement, yeah? You have heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. 
And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Powerful passage. It's a famous passage. You've heard uh, snippets from this passage before, like turn the other cheek, you know, go the extra mile. These have become like phrases in our culture today. So it's a very famous passage, yeah? And it begins with his disciples who come to him. And they are told they are to be salt and light to the world. That they are to be different. Right? That means, that means we are to be somehow different from the world in some way. Pursue a better way of life than anything in the world. Would you agree? That's what he's talking about. And he says it's a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And I have to tell you, this is an intimidating statement, really. It's a very high bar. Because if you think about what, who Pharisees were, Pharisees were the most devout, Bible-loving people at the time. Right? Many of you know this, right? But let's get that straight. Pharisees were the most devout, Bible-loving people of faith, who loved God, who loved the Bible, and wanted to live their whole life conforming to biblical standards. And teachers of the law, the law here refers to the Bible. You know, the, the law here is not, this is not lawyers. These are theologians. These are Bible scholars. Teachers of the law are like pastors, and Bible scholars, rabbis, who devoted their entire life to understanding and following the Bible in order to please God so they can be part of the kingdom of God. Are we, are we good with that? We agree? So, how do you surpass that righteousness? How do you do that? You know? I mean, you guys are all good church-going people here. I know you. You guys are good people. I like you guys. But I have to tell you, I don't think any one of you can stack up to Pharisees and teachers of the law of that time. They are just devout, devoted people of God. I I don't know, in today's equivalence, these would be like 
missionaries. You know, these would be like theologians who spend all their life with the Bible because they just so love it. So isn't that a little intimidating that you're not going to go to heaven unless you surpass that righteousness? How do you play that and, and, and beat them? That's intense. I have to tell you, a lot of people were surprised by this teaching back then. In fact, I would wager that a lot of people would be surprised today by teachings like this. Because we think it's the people who really love the Bible and conform to the Bible and follow the Bible and please God that they are going to go to heaven, right? How are we to take this? Jesus just loves to upend our assumptions. And he continues to do that throughout this whole section because he, he goes on with a series of teachings that begins with, you have heard that it was said. Right? Every, every section. And I had to cut out some actually because it just goes on and on and on. You have heard that it was said. So he's talking about assumptions. Right? He's talking about what we already believe. And then he follows that up with important commands from the Bible. Like, you shall not murder. Mentions that, right? That's from the Ten Commandments. That's from the Bible. It's an important component of the Bible's commands. And, and, and so it'll be one thing. For Jesus to say, hey, you have heard that it was said, and then he quotes some folk wisdom, right? Like, God helps those who help themselves. That's from the Bible, right? No, (laughs) not from the Bible. That's from Benjamin Franklin. So, you know, I don't know what that's, uh, where that's going to lead to. You can be Franklinian if you want to. But that's not... Christian, that's not Bible, you know, so, so you, you could think that maybe Jesus was quoting all this folk wisdom, no, he's quoting very important commands from the Bible, and he's saying, hey, you, you have heard, or you have read this thing from the Bible, and then he says, but then I, but I tell you, and he just upends it, and so, that's not easy, for people of faith to hear. Godly people at the time and today too really believe that the way to heaven is to please God by conforming to biblical standards. Don't murder. Don't sleep around. Be a good person who fights against sin. Fight against this backsliding, secular, ungodly world out there. You know, let's be holy and righteous people in here. And let's find out what God wants from us. And let's be different from that world that's just so corrupt. And and this here is salvation. This is righteousness. And Pharisees and teachers of the law were the, the Olympians playing that game. But then he upends it all. He says, just getting angry 
is equivalent to murder. And that is just way beyond any, any game we can play. It's way beyond ethics or moral system. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. That's, that's not about being a good person. I mean, how would you survive? This is just weird. Don't you think? I mean, let's be honest. Have you ever read this and think, this is just way too impractical? <laughs> right? That's crazy talk, it feels like. So how are we to understand all this? It's just very hard for a human mind to understand. And yet, we have to understand this section. Because this is the, the crux of where Christianity departs from old covenant faith, from all other religious, moral, ethical system that they are. This is, this is the gold. This is the difference. This is what we must get. Are we together on that? Doesn't it seem very important to understand this? I think the key to understanding this is how he closes this section of scripture. He closed the final section of the scripture. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, love your enemy is part of the greatest commandment. You've heard of that. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Everything God wants from us hangs on that. So, we're familiar with that part. But what about the, uh, the second part? Where did that come from? Love your, enemy, uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. What is that about? Where does that come from? I believe this is the mentality that came together with the Pharisees and teachers of the law and Bible people, people of faith at the time. This is what happened as they tried to please God, as faithful people of God, holy and distinguished from that corrupt world out there, it became, this is our group. This is our neighbors. This is our people. This is, you know, we are good to one another. We are brothers and sisters. We are encouraging one another to be godly, to be righteous. We are, we are in here as opposed to that ungodly, secular, corrupt world out there that's against God. That's against us, it's us versus them, saints versus sinners, good and righteous people against the unrighteous people. It's that dichotomy, that division. It's that that's what people of faith did. And it's so, it's just human nature to do that. We like doing that. And this mindset continues today in church setting too. To be honest, I have an evangelical background and that's what I experienced for 
Longest time, that's kind of what I thought as well. I remember this culture of, of, of circling the wagons. You know, we are, we are good people here. And, and so throw out your pop CDs. Anybody remember that? Maybe I'm dating myself, but, you know, throw out your TVs. You know, 15 years ago, I went to an evangelical church, and the whole sermon was about throwing out your TV, because it's just bringing in all that filth into your living room. And you have to transform your mind. You know, this, this righteous group of people here, we are holy as opposed to. So it's us versus them mentality, and that's what salvation was about. And ironically, that's actually what the world does. The world divides. We all have saints and sinners in our heads, whether we are religious or not. And, and it just depends on what criteria and what access you use. For some people, it's the celebrities that are the saints. You know, it's, it's the successful people that are worthy people, good people. They are saved. They are worthy of emulation. Sometimes it's, it's the opposite. The rich and famous, they are evil people. <laughs> you know, they are oppressed, you know. It just depends on what criteria you use. You know, maybe for some people, the homeless people are not worthy because they just haven't worked hard enough. You know, for others, maybe it's the conservatives who are the evil people. And for others, maybe it's the liberals who are the evil people. You know, it's us against them. It's just human nature. And so... It's everywhere. It's in the air we breathe. So we have all experienced exclusion. All of us have. If you went to junior high, you have experienced exclusion. Right? And we also exclude others. We're all doing this. All of us. And Jesus calls this out. And says, you have to shift the whole basis and that's why he talks about the Pharisees and teachers of the law because they are playing the same game just with the Bible and righteousness. I assure you, we cannot surpass them at that game. So the whole game has to be shifted. Jesus is calling for a radical new shift in how to think about righteousness. That it's not what we assume. And it just really boils down to this, that we are called to love all people, not because of some worthiness or characteristics like you are a church person or you are a successful person or whatnot. We're called to love all people because all people bear the image of God. That all people are worthy of love and inclusion and respect regardless of whatever characteristics that they exhibit, regardless of color, regardless of race, regardless of uh, skill level, whatever divisions that we use, 
We can't. So we are all bearing the image of God. So we are all included. And this is why calling someone you fool and getting angry is a serious problem because it's the same mindset that assigns worth depending on their smartness, depending on their worthiness, depending on their ability to perform. We are evaluating. You are a fool or, hey, you're worthy. Do you see the mindset? It's the same mindset that leads to murder because murder is essentially denying someone's right to live. It's denying someone's worth and their right to live. Wouldn't you agree? It's saying, I don't think you deserve to live. That's the same mindset. So Jesus is calling us to look beyond the behavior to the mindset, to the, to the very system that leads to such things as murder. That's the equivalent thing. And that's why we become endangered of hellfire. Because that mindset is going to bring hell upon us because it brings division and alienation. Does it start to make sense? Come together? And I have to say, this is really radical. It's a very difficult thing to do for human beings. We do not naturally tend towards this kind of vision of human life. We like to divide. We like to put worth on people. But here Jesus speaks of this. Exclusion-free life as perfection itself. Now, this is what God is like. This is what makes us children of God. This is what separates us from the world. If we make this the foundation of how we live, as opposed to the righteousness of the Pharisees, that is so focused on earning your worth and righteousness, then we will become Christian. This is how we become Christian. This is where we depart from the old covenant. This is the new covenant Christianity. The new vision of righteousness. And if you go with this, what you will find is that you're going to feel better about yourself. You're going to feel better about yourself, about God, and the world you live in. And that's a pretty good reward, I have to say. So all of a sudden, you're going to feel a lot better and lighter and hopeful if you really believe this and follow this teaching. Because if we stay with that division of worth, of dividing, good, bad, all that, let me put it this way. Ask you a question. How do you feel about yourself? Right now, how do you feel about yourself? Right? If you're honest, you feel some parts of you, you feel good about, yeah? And some parts of you, you don't feel so good about. 
I mean, every human being has good parts and bad parts, righteous parts and unrighteous parts, parts you like, parts you don't like. Right? And if you just keep thinking, well, this part of my life and who I am, it's worthy, I like it, I look pretty, I'm creative, I'm successful. You know, I get out, get up in the morning and I go exercise. Or not. You you like eating potato chips, watching TV on the recliner. I mean, who doesn't? And you just feel like, you know, I just don't like that part about myself. You know, I'm not very successful at my job. I get yelled at a lot. I can't find a job. I can't do this. I can't do that. You're not going to like that, right? Those parts. Now, if you live in that mentality of division and all that, you're always going to be able to find things about yourself you do not like. And it will get you down. But if you believe in Jesus and understand that you are worthy, that that is the message of the cross, that regardless of whatever is going on, good parts, evil parts, God has embraced you all. If you really believe Jesus is teaching here that God sends the sun and the rain to the righteous and the unrighteous, the good and evil, if you believe God loves us all in every part, and the cross has taken care of all those bad parts, we are all accepted. If you really believe that, you're going to feel better. Because now you can embrace all of who you are. And you're just going to feel lighter. You're just going to feel like, oh yeah, this is good. I belong. I'm included. And you're going to feel better about God. Because if you really believe that God punishes all bad parts, then what are you going to do with those bad parts in you? Does anyone here can stand up and say, I have no bad part in me. I have no evil in me. I have nothing. that I, I meet God's standards in every way. I'm good. Anyone raise your hand? The Bible teaches us none of us are that way, that we have good and evil all mixed up in every human being. And so if you really believe that God just sends bad people to hell and, and you have to like wring all the bad parts out of you and you're going at it, when can you ever rest? And how will you feel about God? You should be scared. If that's what you really believe, then you're going to be fearful of God. If you're honest. Don't you think? Then always there's some distance that you're going to have with God. Because God's going to beat you up. And what kind of father-children relationship is that? Right? Think about it. If you have children, if your children feel like, you know, my dad, my mom, they would destroy me if, if, if they find out I have this bad part in me. How do you think that relationship will go? Even if they are pretty good kids. 
That's pretty messed up, don't you think? That's really messed up relationship. I'm not going to go well. And that is the righteousness of the Pharisees and teachers of the law. (laughs) That's not going to make it. That's fundamentally messed up. It will never get better. Unless you transform your mind from the worldly thinking and become Christian, it will never get better. Isn't that interesting? So what Jesus teaches here is amazing. I love it. If we go with that, then we will become salt and light in this world. Pharisees and Bible-loving people lost their saltiness because they started thinking like the world and started dividing. And it feels so intuitive. But that is what will lead to death. Agreed? It's a much better way to go. Christian way. I like it. Are you in? You want to grow in this kind of new life? Let me give you some practical suggestions. First suggestion on how to grow in this kind of new way of life. First Okay, this week, try this. Listen to those you normally ignore. <laughs> you know, I, I, I often space out. You know, even with my kids. You know, I know I'm supposed to listen to my kids. But, you know, kids are kids. They talk about stupid things, you know? <laughs> Sorry. And you can just space out. You, you, you start thinking about like, things that, that seem much more important. Right? You start thinking about politics. And you start thinking about like, your job and your boss and things, the report you have to write. And, and then you just go, oh, yeah, you were saying something, you know? Because they seem very important. We all do this. For others, you know, kids are the important things, and so you really pay attention, and others maybe you don't pay too much attention to. There are always people we don't normally pay attention to. Jesus says, don't greet only your own people. What are you doing more than others? Do not even unbelievers do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's saying... Don't hang out with people who look like you, think like you, that you think are important. Don't just pay attention to those people who are like your little club. You know, that will lead to death. And that's such a powerful statement for today because today we just love to hang out with our own crowd in this age of Internet. Right? Fox News crowd, they just... Hang out with Fox News crowd. HuffPost crowd just hangs out with the HuffPost crowd, right? It's like, who wants to hang out with people who disagree with you, who don't look like you, think like you, are in the same kind of status, race? Church too, 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Famous statement. This is the most segregated hour in America. Church plays a huge role in this. In fact, it's wrapped up as righteousness. To gather with people who look like you, think like you, and form a little club and say, no, you know, we are 
the saved people. We have to stand against that backsliding secular world. And we got this group of people, and it's great. That is so messed up, blindness. That is how the salt loses its saltiness. It's no good. It's only good to be trampled on the foot. The church is called to join in with God who is at work to bring down all those kinds of divisions of race, of color, of status. There is no Jew or Gentile, male or female, free or slave in Christ Jesus. Cross is about inclusion. And yet church has been a force for exclusion for so long and even today. That's just horrible. It's the exact opposite of what is supposed to happen. That's old covenant thinking that makes so much sense into the worldly mind, but it brings the curse of God upon it, as the Bible teaches us. It will narrow you down, and it will endanger you to thinking like the Pharisees. And so that's why I I like this church so much. Because look around you, this is a pretty diverse group, don't you think? This is an opportunity for you to reach across the aisle and get to know people that doesn't look like you, that doesn't think like you, and that's where salvation can come from. Amen? So make some effort to connect to people who are different from you. That's going to be good for your soul to help you feel better about yourself as you develop that mindset. So River NYC app has daily guide and uh, it has daily suggestions this week on how to live exclusion-free life. And this week, Caroline, my wife, worked on that daily guide and it's very powerful. So I would ask you to just check it out. There are daily suggestions that will help you change your mindset. That will lead to salvation. Sounds good? Okay, second suggestion. Try not to feel excluded yourself. Are there times that you feel excluded? I do. As an immigrant to this country, I've often felt excluded. And people may not be trying to exclude me, but You have this question in your head. Anybody relate to that? And you feel, yeah. But here's the problem. When we feel excluded inside, we exclude people, ourselves. We project outward how we feel inside. We always do. No exception. And this is why the message of the cross is so important. Because the cross says in one sentence, you are included. You belong. This is what's so powerful about the cross. Is that it doesn't matter what you have done. Good, bad, it's color, race, status, Whoever you are, whatever you are, you are included. You belong. God loves you. God has accepted you. 
Agreed? Isn't that the message of the cross? Any objection? Right? That is the most standard understanding of the cross, no? The Son of God died on the cross to say, you belong, no matter what. And when you take that into your heart and you feel included, that's going to change everything from inside out. This is how salvation works. Everything starts to get better. And that's what faith is. And so, this is my next suggestion. Don't do this with grim morality. It has to come from faith. It has to come from inside out. If you try to do this like the Pharisees do it, like Bible-loving people might do it, like this is the right thing to do, this is the moral thing to do, you have to include people because it's the right thing to do. Can you imagine? It's like, I don't want to do this. I hate you. But I'm going to shake your hand because I'm supposed to. But I don't have to like it. You know? Can you imagine how that would feel? That's not going to feel so good. Right? I think kids will understand this instinctively. This is our youth group. We are including them. (laughs) Kids are worthy. You know, this is why Jesus said, let the children come unto him. Because all are worthy. Because they bear the image of God. You know, I mean, kids, have you ever like, had friends who don't like you, but they're trying to be friends? Yeah. That's not that fun, isn't it? That's not that fun. It doesn't work. This has to come from faith. Turn the other cheek. How do you do that as a morality? How do you be good to those who hate you? As, 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 as a, how do you like even tell people that this is the moral thing to do? This is way beyond morality. This is faith. You have to do this from faith in the living God. That God really is out there. And God really loves you. And that that's reality. And, and if you really like experience this, if you live your life from this, God will really come alive for you. He has done for me, and He has done for countless people. Jesus is risen. That's a very powerful statement. It it allows us to have this faith to be salt and light. Amen? Amen. Speaking of faith in the living God, God's stories. I just want to remind you, we've been encouraging you to pray for something you cannot get for yourself. If anything has been happening for you, we want to hear from it. Next Sunday, we'll actually give you some time to write out your story. So come next Sunday. Palm Sunday, it's going to be a very powerful service. Dave, my good friend, is flying out from L.A. to talk about anxiety-free life because I really think of all the people I know, he has the most authority in speaking about anxiety-free life because he... He so often has to struggle with anxiety himself. But he's gained a powerful, powerful spiritual insight. And every time I talk to him, I feel less anxious. There's something in him. It's going to be great. So please come. Do you ever get worried? Right? So come next week. It's going to be a good talk. 
And you know, we're going to give you some time to write God's stories, but if anything has been happening for you, if you can email it to us at mystory@rivernyc.org. You know, we're starting to collect them, and we're going to you know, put them up on Easter time. You don't have to put your name. It's all anonymous. But it's a celebration of the living God moving in our community that we can celebrate together. That's going to be very powerful. So please be part of that. Sounds good? So my final, my final, final thought is this. Let's build this church together. Because you cannot do exclusion-free by yourself. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you do exclusion-free by yourself on your own? No, it has to get done in community that's diverse like this. It's a precious community. Let's work on this. Let's be part of this. Don't just come and go on Sunday morning. Get to know some people. Even today, hang around for a few minutes. And say hi to someone. Don't just do what's comfortable and greet only those you are comfortable greeting. Extend. Connect. Living God will come to us. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, thank you that what we are called to is beyond the Pharisees and teachers of the law. That it's a completely different game that you are calling us to. That this is, this is not a religion. That this is a way of life that is visionary, revolutionary, that's going to bring us something powerful from inside out that will make life better for us and to all those around us. Help us be this church that is salt and light. That is different. That brings life. That brings lightness. Be with us, God, and make this happen for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.